here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Christmas Eve Takes on Takes edition of the show. Kyle, welcome. Christmas Eve, man. Is it wrong that I'm more excited for the college football playoff semifinals? You're not, you don't have to say that. I mean, I'm a transparent guy. If it's in my head, I'm going to say it. Okay. Um, well, I think most men in our situation would, would say that they're more excited for the college football playoffs than Christmas Eve. Yeah. Brother, we get Clemson, Ohio State. What a great matchup that's going to be. Yes. Especially for a Clemson team that hasn't played, played anybody. And yeah, anybody? I mean, just like. <laughs> Can let's see what it looks like against. Uh, we know a really talented team on both sides of the ball. I think they'll be challenged in a lot of different ways. I'd be anxious to see how they stack up. And you know, you know, Dabble's got them inspired. You know, the little yeah. old Clemson. You know, we're just over here and we've won you know, twenty four games in a row or whatever they've had. And the and national champions in the three seed. Yeah, man, yeah. little old Clemson. Listen, this is gonna be a huge showcase game for Isaiah Simmons and I for one cannot mm, wait for it. Yeah. So the weirdest thing about writing mock drafts and here we are already off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest thing about writing mock drafts right now is any team that I give Isaiah Simmons, they don't want him. And I'm like, what? imagine like what? Imagine not wanting. I listen, I, I have your solution. Give him to Miami with the Pittsburgh pick every single mock draft from here on out. And that Pittsburgh pick that fan base will love you to death. I don't, he's not getting to 20, whatever, right? Well, right now, Pittsburgh's picking 19. And fun fact do you know how high that Steelers pick can get? With a uh, loss to Baltimore, the, so that they'd have they have eight wins already, right? No matter what. Yes, oh. I will say this: there there is a mathematic possibility that the team picking 14th in the NFL draft will be eight and eight. Yeah, that would be that would have been my guess. Fifteen. Well, because of freaking strength of schedule, Pittsburgh can't get any higher than eighteen. Oh, okay, so that's capped at eighteen. But, yeah, so th- it will be between 18 and 20 if Pittsburgh misses the playoffs. But from a draft order perspective, I think it's fascinating. Like Philly right now can either be in the playoffs or if Philly somehow loses to the Giants, they'll pick 14th. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, crazy. Well, and, and Dallas wins, of course. Yeah. But well, like that, that's such a huge swing. <laughs> <laughs> to be able hey. to go for 14 right now i think it like i think oakland can win this weekend and if they don't get the tiebreakers they'll pick 14th or but they'll if pick, oakland yeah. or they'll be in the playoffs even with a win well tremaine edmonds went 16 in a deep yeah. linebacker year 
Yeah. Isaiah Simmons probably a better prospect than Tremaine Edmonds, and it's not a good linebacker year. I'm just trying to keep my man in re- realistic hopes about getting Isaiah Simmons at 18. Um, so Denver doesn't want him. I think Denver Denver would be okay with him, but I don't think they generally want him. Detroit doesn't seem like they love the idea of Isaiah Simmons, and and now picking at three. You can make the argument positional value is not not a great idea. Tell that to Jason Lee. Man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um Jacksonville, but Jacksonville doesn't seem like they want him either. Yeah, I gave him to I gave Jacksonville Simmons they, my they last just, mock. They just said no thank you. Yeah, um the mock after not wanting C D Lamb. <laughs> they didn't want Isaiah Simmons. So well, tra- Trevor gave him two freaking wide receivers. Yeah, that that was just <laughs> waiting for the world to burn down there. What he's got against Jacksonville? Just, Trevor's just sitting back, enjoying the the world burn down around right. him. I guess as long as he's the source of the world burning, Trevor's good. Yeah, he can he's take fine it. That'll be fine. Yeah, let's do takes on takes, man. We're all right. Let's do story. takes on takes. I'm giving you the first take. Okay, good because I don't want the second one. Ooh. Yeah, I'm looking at that now. All right, All right. so I'm getting the first one, and you're nope, <laughs> nope. So take from Haytor: the college football playoff made bowl season pointless. I mean, is anybody really excited for it? The NCAA should expand the playoff to six or eight teams. Hashtag takes on takes. Okay, so I like the first part of this because I. I do agree that my interest in bowl season has declined a ton. I used to love it, uh, be excited for the matchups, prioritize watching the games. I watched a little of Buffalo versus Charlotte and a little of Utah State versus Akron, mm-hmm. and I haven't watched a second of any other bowl games, and I'm an NFL draft analyst by trade. Okay, so like that says a lot, and I just don't have the interest level. I care a lot about the playoffs, obviously, but – yeah, I just it doesn't move the needle for me, especially when, you know, I can spend my time studying the draft class and, and you know, not West, you know, not invest four hours in, in one of those poll games. And I love football as much as anyone. I love to watch live football. But right now, the value proposition with my time does not lead me to bowl games. Uh, the second piece of this about expanding the playoffs to six or eight teams, I'm I'm adamantly against it. I, I think. I think that's Coward. too many teams. No, it's it's too many teams. We've kind of been down this road before. If you would have done it this year, I mean, you literally, with the four teams this year, you got every single undefeated or one-loss Power 5 team in the playoffs. I don't need to see Baylor in there. I don't need to see Memphis or Georgia. I don't need it. There, there's, the playoffs happen. Georgia had a playoff game to LSU. They lost. They didn't advance. Baylor had a playoff game to Oklahoma. They lost. They didn't advance. Like, like the whole... There's built-in playoff games that get us to the right four every single year, it seems. I don't need more teams because they don't deserve it. They don't deserve to be in there, in my opinion. Uh, Kyle, here it is. This one's from Haywood. Uh, interesting hey- take here. Haywood who? I'm not saying that last name. <laughs> no. <laughs> did you do? Did you edit that while I was talking? <laughs> no, I did not. I swear I didn't change no, it. No, because that would be a classic Kyle move right there. That's uh, a good name. Yeah, his name is Haywood. <laughs> no, Jesus, man. <laughs> I didn't even put the first and last name together until that second time there. <laughs> All right. Well done, Haywood. All right. His take is in a week, 
tight end class, Najee Harris would thrive as a flex tight end uh, if he measures in at 6'3 and adds 15 pounds. Keep in mind, I like him a lot as a running back, too. I guess the the inspiration here is what Jalen Hurd did at Tennessee versus what he did at Baylor versus getting drafted at uh, at San Francisco. But I think Najee Harris is a much more natural runner and running back. And I, I guess I, I don't think it's broke, so I'm not going to fix it, if that makes sense. I don't see the need to move him to a flex tight end when you can still get pass targets to him out of the backfield. And yeah. if if you wanted to flex him out into the slot, flex him there as a wide receiver, but I don't want to bulk him up because I think you, you're really hurting some of the dynamic and and unique skills that he brings as a runner. Alabama I'd rather leave him running back in. Yeah. Uh, take from our guy Von Tell. Happy holidays, brothers. You're trying to go round one. I, for one, think this take is easy. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. But they have. there are only two, two choices to do it. Playing wide receiver in Paul Johnson's triple option offense or playing running back for Mike Leach's air raid. Which one gives you the better chance and why? It's interesting. Um, to, you think it's easy. Yeah, um, I do. I Okay, I think it's probably playing running back for Mike Leach. I think you'll get a reasonable opportunity to showcase your pass catching skill set, and you'll still get 10 or 15 rushes a game as opposed to they might th- throw the ball three times in an option offense. Give me, give me running back for Mike Leach is my best chance. That is the correct tape. But I, I was. Have you seen Max Borgie this year? Have you see any Max Borgie tape? No, fake name. No, he's running back for Mike Leach at Washington State. Oh, because you recently did Aaron Gordon, so you're a little locked in. You think I've, I haven't watched a second of Washington State this year? Listen, Borgie's a fun player. He's a really good receiver. Do I think he's a first round player? No, I do not. But if you have first-round talents and you get an opportunity to play in Mike Leach's offense, you're doing all the things that make first-round backs, first-round backs versus second-round backs being second-round backs, which is the third-down skill set, being able to pass block, being able to catch the ball and be a weapon out of the backfield in the passing game. You're going to get a ton of light boxes with the way they space the field. So if you're a first-round talent, you should be tearing these defenses up to shit when you get your 12 to 15 carries a game. Is there a better resume, though, of Georgia Tech wide receivers under Paul Johnson than there is like running backs getting drafted under Mike Leach? Probably, but I think that's more of a fact if Mike Leach doesn't care about the running back. Like it, If you were a first-round talent, and you went to play for Mike Leach, I think you'd have a better chance to showcase your skills. I think so. I think so. But what's interesting, Paul Johnson became the head coach at Georgia Tech in 2008. Since then, here's the receivers that were drafted. Okay. Darren Waller. Um, here we go. Demarius Thomas, Stephen Hill, Darren Waller, DeAndre Smelter. I mean, I mean have- you've got a guy who changed positions in Waller. Mm-hmm. 
he's a, a wealthy man now playing tight end in the NFL. He is. Yeah. And he's made me eat a lot of crow this year. Cause <laughs> I made fun of David Carr for saying Darren Waller was top 10 tight end before the season. You know, Kyle, there's only been 44, 1000 yard receivers by tight ends in the history of the NFL. Brother. And Darren Waller has got one of them. Brother. My entire objection was saying before the I get it. season. Yeah, I know. Trust me. I get it. I back to you on this. Uh, I've got the Mike Leach numbers up. Mike Leach has been the head coach at Washington State since 2012. Running backs to be drafted from Washington State. Yeah, you're State. not going to get any. There's zero, Kyle. There's zero. Yeah. Washington State doesn't put many players in the NFL. I mean, this is pretty bad. Yeah, I think th- I think we thought the answer was was Mike Leach, and the answer is really Paul Johnson. Okay, how many went in round one? Demarius, Demarius Thomas. Tom- at least there's one. There's not even a running back drafted from Washington State. Because Mike Leach doesn't recruit round one caliber running backs because he doesn't care about them. What's we need? We need. We're going to need a 17 year old kid to sacrifice, make a big sacrifice for his career. Five star recruit. Go, yeah, go, go play for go Mike Leach. I Mike guarantee Leach. you. You're going to rush. We need to see you're what average 12, 12 yards a carry and rush for <laughs> 1,500 yards, and you're going to have 1,000 yards receiving out of the backfield. Let's move on. All right. You get this one from David. I, I do. Is this David? All right. Uh, is this the most consistent? Ryan Fitzpatrick has been in his career. I think the last 10 games. Yeah, he's been real. Listen, when Miami signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, it was like, oh, cool. Like we got Fitzpatrick, like cool little like folk legend, Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's probably going to make some dumb throws. And when he first got into the starting lineup, like the first three games that he played in, they weren't very good. He started the, the Baltimore game and the, uh, New England game, and of course, both those those defenses were clamps on Miami with you know, losing all that they did in personnel. But once they put Fitzpatrick back into the the lineup for the uh, the first Buffalo game, I think was the first game he started back because he played the second half of the Washington game. He's like on pace to throw for like you take his yardage he's done since, and he's on pace to throw for like forty five hundred yards. And he's so, not turning the ball over a ton. It's been true for a while now. Ryan Fitzpatrick's been one of the best 32 quarterbacks on the planet. I'd, I'd argue he's top 20 in the NFL this year. I don't disagree, but it's it's been a, an interesting ride watching his career unfold as a fan of a team that gave him franchise quarterback money. Like I, yeah. I understood it, but then I also understood it the moment they released him. You know, it's it's uh it's a tough. It's a tough uh, hill to be on, but he's he's starter in the league. He is. It's like he, if you've got good personnel, he's going to bring your offense down. But if you've got bad personnel, he's going to bring your offense yeah, up. Yeah, isn't that, that weird? Sense. No, that's exactly right. And I think it's it's because he kind of thrives on that for whatever reason. Like he, you know, like when I think the personnel is good, I think he gets a little bit more loose. And he feels like there's more margin for error, but like he elevated some really shitty offensive personnel in Buffalo and he's done it. I mean, he's done it everywhere with the jets that one season. I yeah. mean, his worst season was with the bucks. He had Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and OJ Howard and Cameron Bray. And he just threw everything up. 
He said, yeah, go get it. Now he's doing that in Miami this year too, but. Hey, Devontae Parker. Is, it, Mike Evans is no Devontae Parker. Oh, I like that take. <laughs> that is not a real take, but man. Hashtag Glazers out with the next take before yeah. you get yourself in trouble. <laughs> Usually fans of bad teams want to lose week 17. I want the Giants uh, to win to A, piss off the Eagles, and B, slide down the draft order to not in the awkward draft position to draft Simmons or Werfs fourth overall. Bad take. This is a bad take. I like Glazers out, but why not just have the third pick or the, the whatever, the fourth pick, if you want to trade back, do it and get some more draft capital yeah. instead of just winning the game for these reasons. It's I think um I, I get it. I yeah, I've I'm normally in this position. So like I get it, but well, you know when the ball snapped, you're not rooting for the team to lose. You can't do it. You just can't do I, it. I actually did it this past weekend, for the record. For the first time this year, probably. Uh yeah. Cause like I was just kind of sad in September <laughs> and then like they won and then you start doing the math and you realize Joe Burrow's on the tip. So I, I, the Bengals game was the first time I was like, let's go Bengals. Like, <laughs> win. so, so it's hard though, because you're right. Like when the ball is snapped, you want your team to win. What was, okay. So how is a giants win going to piss off the Eagles? Is that who they play? Yes. Okay. So, so Dallas you- plays Washington and Philly plays New York. So you have a ch- okay, but here's the thing: you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you don't take care of your business, you're just putting the Cowboys in the playoffs. So you, I mean, okay, you're a division rival. I, my my fuel is to piss off Eagles fans, but the trade off is that I make Cowboys fans happy. I'd be interested in to gauge like the temperature of the NFC East rivalries. Well, it's the most passive aggressive group of people on Twitter. It's amazing. NFC East Twitter is amazing. Yeah, I'm so glad we have been in our circle so we can experience that. Except for Redskins fans. I don't know. They're pretty benign, right? You feel bad. I feel like like they need to figure out like how they're supposed to feel before they can project how they feel to everybody else. Because like I would be really conflicted as a Washington fan. Like Dwayne Haskins is showing. Haskins has shown you a little bit of something, but at the same time, it's like Dan Snyder picked him and apparently Dan Snyder like told Dwayne Haskins, don't go back into the game this past weekend. Did you hear that? No, that was something that I read that, that Snyder told Haskins, don't go back into the game. Um, hard ownership's hard to get excited about. And like, they got Terry McLaurin who looks great and they got a pretty solid front seven on defense and, but you got Dan Snyder. I'd be really conflicted if I was a Washington fan. Yeah. All right. What was this next one for you from Allen? Uh, yes, it is. All right. Freddie Kitchens should be gone. Many of the Cleveland players are prima donnas. Mayfield works best when he has a chip on his shoulder. Adam Gase is no. the man to turn Baker no. and Cleveland around. What happened here? How do we get at- there? Keep- <laughs> what a leap, right? Yeah. <laughs> You know who I would love to put Baker Mayfield with? You know who who is the man to turn around Baker Mayfield? I sort of want to play this guessing game, but I don't I don't have any idea where to start. A good coach. Oh. Freddie Kitchens. Undisciplined. Did you read Freddie Kitchens' comments about drawing up plays versus playing football? Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. 
bad coach. Team is undisciplined, sloppy, self-inflicted wounds, drops, penalties. Get that man out of Cleveland. Adam Gase. (laughs) He's an offensive-minded coach who hasn't had an offense rated above like 28th in the league in the last four years. What are we doing? (laughs) Give Baker and Cleveland a good coach. That'll turn them around. And Adam's not one of those. Dion. The most incredible stat likely to happen next week. Derek Carr not passing for 300 yards in a game all season in John Gruden offense or Jameis Winston joining the 30-30 club. I 30 think it, touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Yeah, I think, it, aren't aware. I, I think it's 30-30. Um, I don't know how often that's been done. I'm guessing not very often. But the, I guess the fascinating piece of this is like, we we kind of assume maybe this could happen because you know Bruce Arians has the no uh, no risk it no biscuit philosophy and you you always were a little bit nervous about that with with Jameis but then you thought about the vertical passing game and how much that could help him and I mean in a lot of ways Jameis is having the best season of his career in terms of yardage and touchdowns but like it has definitely come at the expense of interceptions he's at four percent four point seven percent interceptions which is up from two point eight percent as a rookie. So, like, I mean, he is throwing interceptions at, at a clip and an unbelievably high clip. And so uh, I think that is is more of a what is the what is the uh, adjective that was used? The most incredible stat likely to happen. It's Jameis going 30 for 30. I, I don't I mean, Derek Carr doesn't have any really good receivers. I mean, it's OK. They got a good tight end. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not surprised just based on the weaponry that Oakland has that. The, the production in the passing game hasn't been consistent in terms of gaudy yards. I have the numbers. The 30-30 club? Um, Vinny Testaverde, he's got to be in there. Well, I, I I only looked up the most interceptions thrown in a single season. Okay, there's, pre- the there's su- probably not that many that have been 30. Uh, there are one, two, three. There's 10. There's been 10 30 interception seasons in the history of football. Yes, but m- m- several of them come before the Super Bowl era. Okay. Uh, ones that have come, do we want to just call it after 1970? Yeah, that's when everybody cares about. We have Richard Todd and the 1980 New York Jets. He did 30-30? He threw 17 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Okay, so he's still 13 touchdown passes behind. Ken Stabler and the 1978 Oakland Raiders. He threw 30 interceptions. This blurb does not have how many touchdowns he threw that season. 47 Bears. Fran Tarkenton, the 1978 Vikings. Uh, 32 interceptions that season. 68, 60. It's never happened before, Cal. It's never happened. Vinny Testaverde, 35 interceptions in 1988 with the Buccaneers. So a 30-30 season has never happened. He's be the first one ever. Yeah, that's the most incredible stat line. And There's like, been lots of quarterbacks not throw for 300 in a year. You know, 
low key. I mean, he's he's less than a hundred yards away from a thousand, uh, five thousand yard passing season too. Yeah, this this season, five thousand passing yards, thirty touchdowns, thirty interceptions may be something we never see again. What a well, rare feat! Unless they run Jameis back and play Jameis again next year. Man, you'd have to think he's going to have to cut down <laughs> on the picks, right? For the seventh, for the seventh year in a row, we're talking about it or whatever it's been. Okay, so right uh, now, right now, real quick, yeah. Jameis, how many passing yards? Give me an estimate. How many passing yards does Jameis Winston throw for next week? I mean, what does he? He wakes up and throws for three thirty. It feels like, right? Right, right. So what's he get? Uh, we'll go with three fifteen. If he gets three fifteen, he will have the fourth most passing yards in a single season in NFL history. <laughs> He's having with, from a yards 50, perspective, it's going to be high no matter what. Fifty, he would have fifty two hundred yards. <laughs> a lot of yards, man. Thirty picks. Yeah. All right, uh, Matt Minich was turned in by Dylan, uh, and his take was no. I'm getting ahead of myself. You get in this one, Bobby Winter is turning in PFF, who said the Giants should take Tua. So this one's for me? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, It's interesting. I think it would be the, the icing on the cake from, like, Giants' ownership perspective. Giants' ownership has had very a very poor vision of what they want their football team to look like for the past several years. You think about hiring Ben McAdoo and then firing Ben McAdoo after, I think, less than two full seasons and then hiring Pat Shermer and bringing in Dave Gettleman. And now we are less than two full seasons after that decision and we're looking at these guys potentially getting fired. And Shermer's Shermer's record's terrible in New York. Terrible everywhere he's been. So now you're you're literally talking about you wasted four years of your organization hiring coach, firing coach, flushing it down the toilet for five years is what you're looking at effectively. Um, so the icing on the cake here would be, well, New York gets a new general manager and a new head coach, and they don't feel like Daniel Jones is somebody that they want to invest in. So we are going to draft two, and then we, we're going to – Josh Rosen – Daniel Jones, and it's like one of the top five fears of Dolphins fans everywhere because they're sitting here going through doomsday scenarios because they're so used to things not turning out the way they're supposed to, and they want Tua. Um, should the Giants take Tua? No, I think Daniel Jones has given you enough here. Uh, he's right. impressed me as a passer. Decision-making still not great. The ball security is a big problem. He's lost 10 fumbles this year, so that needs to get a lot better. Uh, he's got over 20 total turnovers, but as far as being a passer, I think he's shown he's he's further ahead than what I thought he would be based on his Duke tape. So I don't think you can look at the season that he's had, consider where you draft him and say, yeah, we're going to go a different direction. No, I think he's been encouraging, if anything. Yeah. So uh, Matt Minich turned in by Dylan McKeague. Unpopular opinion. Toaster strudels are better than Pop-Tarts. All right, so I've um, I need to say something first here. You've thought I've, a lot about this that I've you've never probably never had. You've never had a toaster strudel, you weirdo. Right? Yeah, I've never God, had. A to- I hate you. I've never had a toast toaster strudel, but I have taken the time to Google them, and what they look like to me is a gourmet pancake or gour- gourmet pop tart. They look like they have fluffier uh, 
whatever the coating is there, the breading or whatever. Uh, it looks like it's a thicker, more um, appealing looking filling. And uh, the one I'm looking at here has like a smiley face with the icing. So this looks like a gourmet pop tart. I've never had it, but I, I think it looks more appealing. But I'm, I'm guessing you've eaten both, uh, not in I the last 20 both. years, but what's the take here? Uh, do you like your Pop-Tarts hot or cold? Um, it's relevant to the, the topic at hand. Yes. I think I, I think, I think I normally put them in the microwave for like 30 seconds. Then you will like toaster strudels more than Pop-Tarts because they're, they're, their textures better. They're not flat. There's I, I can tell that by looking at this picture. Of yeah. Toaster. Yeah. So if, if I was going to say, if you like pop tarts cold, then I don't think toaster strudels are going to do it for you because they have to be served warm. Are these frozen? Yeah. It uh, says they come frozen. They, on the come, they come frozen. Yes. Okay. So that's why nobody's ever heard of them because nobody's digging through the freezer aisle when you can get pop tarts off the shelf with the like other Right. It, there's a convenience factor with to, with Pop-Tarts that it's like you can plug and play. Yeah, right? you can, it's like, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to eat it on go. the go on my yeah. way out. Yeah. So that's that's the appeal to each. Uh, I personally, if I could have either and I was not rushed, I would take a toaster strudel over Pop-Tart. All right. From Michael Christopher, there will be six offensive linemen that go in the top 32 picks with Worths. Thomas Wills, all going top 10. Josh Jones, Alex Leatherwood, and Austin Jackson also going. Also two centers, Creed Humphrey, Tyler Biades will go, making it eight offensive linemen in the first round. Yeah, this is interesting uh, because we talk a lot about the uh, drought of good offensive line play and prospects, right? And we have a strong offensive line class. Yeah. Uh, so I think that I think that part of it is compelling. For me, some of these later guys that he mentioned, the Josh Joneses and the Alex Leatherwood, they're still for me. They're still more toolsy than they are finished products, and because they're still toolsy, like in an average offensive or in an average draft, you don't get three of Worfs, Thomas, and Wills. You might get two, but typically there's only one. Uh, so I, I think the fact that there's so much beef at the top, you may see some of the developmental guys drop a little bit. I think eight's a little rich. That's a big number for me, considering some of the talent elsewhere in the draft. Yeah. I would like, probably pass on that. I'm not a math guy, but that's 25%, right? That is correct, yes. Hmm. Seems rich. If take from Josh Carlson, if Dan Marino played at the same time as Peyton Manning, he would own all of the passing records. Yeah, right. I th- I think so. I mean, Dan Marino was the the guy that got us into passing yards, right? I mean, he was he's the the he's the guy. He changed football in a lot of ways with what he's was able to do. And I mean, you put his skill set in a you know, a more advanced offense in mm-hmm. terms of like later on with different rules and the receiving talent that's come through the NFL. I mean, Dan Marino had all the records before it was easy to pass the ball. 
Right. He he had 5,000 <laughs> passing yards and 48 touchdown passes in 1984. Right. Like the, that's that's probably two or three seasons worth of production for most quarterbacks at the time. Look at Terry Bradshaw's numbers. I bet you he's never had half of that in a season. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Look at Troy Aikman. You think Troy Aikman's ever come anywhere near any of that? He's probably never come in with within 1,500 yards of that. I think his most pass th- passing touchdowns he's ever had in a year was like 22. What is the most passing yards Troy Aikman has had in a single season? 3,100 yards. 3,445. Right. But what's number two season? 3,304. Okay. What are most and of that- his seasons? <laughs> 2,700, right. 3,100. <laughs> and then for passing touchdowns, what's the most passing touchdowns Troy Aikman's had in a single season? I think he has. He was only over 20 like one time. Yeah, that is correct. And I think he got like 22 or something like that. He got 23 the same season he threw for 3,400 yards Just lit the in 92. Let's yeah. make sure he's on the NFL 100 team. To hell with that list. Right, but Jesus, man. Get Troy out of here with that stuff, man. Troy Aikman. Yeah, he won a couple Super Bowls, Brosh. Six straight Pro Bowls from 91 and 96. I know. Had a, he was a winner. He, he knew sure how to was. win. Sure was. Sure knew how to hand the ball off to Emmett Smith behind Larry Allen is what he knew how to do. Throw the ball to Mike <laughs> Irvin. It's a legend. Legend of the game. So dynamic. So yeah, Dan Marino Last would have all the stuff, right? Like, is there is who's is there anybody even that's been like him that's come through modern like just with that type of skill set with that type of a hose? I don't think I so. I mean, man. people people will point to John Elway. John, they were the same era, right? But that isn't that what like, you asked. No, I'm talking. Oh, like, is there anybody in modern like, era that? Yeah, like 2000 forward that had that type of stuff. People are going to tell you Mahomes. No, they're different. Like, okay, maybe there's some, like, with some of the stuff down the field, maybe, but like, I don't know, man. Dan Marino is a friggin' surgeon. I don't think Mahomes is like that type of consistent from the pocket. They win, they win in very different right. ways. It's, it's like Pat thrives. Pat wins within structure and Andy Reid puts a lot of like quick game stuff in there for him. Right. But a lot of times when Pat makes like the eye popping explosive plays that make your mind explode, it's like <laughs> you physically shouldn't be able to do that because you're rolling out right. and throwing across your body late over the middle. And just like you have such a cannon that you can rip it in there or he's off platform and generates an insane amount of velocity and accuracy simultaneously, or the, the sidearm drop that he's thrown around yeah. the Chicago bear. And he puts it under the guy's freaking armpit in stride, like it's stuff different. like that is. Yeah. Where Dan, Dan, Marino is, Dan like, is going to sit in there and he's going to slide within the pocket like Tom Brady esque as far as avoiding the rush within the pocket. And then he's going to hold that ball till the last possible second. And then he's going to get the ball out because he had such a quick release. Yeah. And how allows for maximum separation. Imagine playing like zone coverage against Dan Marino, thinking no. you're fine. Just thinking you're fine. I'm at my landmarks, you know, squeeze this route, whatever. Nope. And then he just freaking <laughs> just lasers one and you just feel the the wind of the ball passing by yeah. your face. You know, like, yeah, your face your face gets hot because the ball's putting off heat. Yeah. With how, with how hard it's going. <laughs> Stupid. 
All right. What is this one? This one's for you. For last me. One. Last I, one. I, I want to let you know before you read this. I don't I don't think I I think I, I agree with what this person's saying. Uh, my friend Pat, this is from Cameron. My friend Pat, a Jets fan. If the Jets were healthy all season, they're nine and seven and a wild card team easily. He continually badgers us with his dem- demonstrably, de- demonstrably. Is that like a weird way to just demonstrably? De- demonstrably. Okay. Well, he ha- yeah he hashtagged it Joe Cabulary. So well done. That's fallacious great- bullshit. Jets Jets fans are insufferable. Which word was the vocabulary? Was it fallacious or demonstrably? Demonstrably. Demonstra- demonstrably. Okay, so this the Jets team is five and two in their last seven games, yeah. and they play a Buffalo Bills team that is locked into the five seed. Mm-hmm. They're probably going to steal this one, mm-hmm. so that would put them at seven and nine. So we need to find two extra wins on the Bills schedule. Jets first said. and fo- the Jets schedule first and foremost. Here's why I said Bills. They choked away that game against Buffalo Week One. Mm-hmm. They were comfortably ahead. What was it? It was the ten point lead in the fourth quarter. Sixteen to nothing going into the fourth quarter. Jeez, Adam, brother. Josh, Josh Allen just taking over football games. Okay, so <laughs> it seemed like that game kind of turned when CJ Mosley got hurt. Would you agree with that? No, nah, Josh was too good. Couldn't be stopped. Okay, so you can't be a part of this conversation now. I'm going to need you to mute your mic. If C.J. Mosley does not get hurt in that football game, that seemed to be what stemmed the tide for 17 unanswered points for Buffalo. So I'll give him that one. You can come back now, Joe. I'm back. I've never left. Welcome welcome back. I was just thinking about that throw to John Brown at the end of the game that gave. So Cleveland beat the Jets 23-3. to The Jets had 262 yards of passing offense. When did Sam Darnold go out with Mono? Did he play in this game? We do. Yeah, no, he so didn't he play did week not two, play three, and five. Okay, so does Darnold make that big of a difference against the Browns? No, he's not. So the, the Browns, Patriots, and Eagles. The, the Jets were never beating any one of those teams right. with, with Darnold. But Darnold probably has important growth, and he probably doesn't lose three of his first four starts coming back, including games against Miami, Jacksonville, and Jacksonville. And that Jacksonville game is a stinker. Right, and they lost to the Bengals. Offense had three that, turnovers I mean, there's in no that excuse game. There. Yeah, there's no excuse there as far as health. I think you could I think he has a solid case. Right. I'm not sure wins. they get the wild card though. I don't know if that right. means a wild card, but it's not crazy to say they could have got to nine wins. I think I think your your Jets fan this was Cameron sent this in. Cameron sent this in, his buddy's a Jets fan. Yeah, so Cameron, I think your your Jets friend is probably a little ambitious, but I don't think he's talking total nonsense. It's like here here's the analogy that we'll end the show with, Joe. It's like when people talk about uh draft trades, right? It's like they can say, I want to move up for so and so, or I want to trade back in the draft for so and so. I want my team to do that. And that's a logical, sensible statement to make. But then you get into the details of like, okay, what would the trade look like? <laughs> yeah. And the details of the trade, it's like hypothetically, I was talking with Dolphins fans about, you know, calling Detroit about a potential trade up scenario. 
and the feedback that I got was if I'm Miami and I wanted to trade up with Detroit, I would give him five, the worst first round pick we had and next year's fourth round pick to move up to three and get their second round pick this year back. Yeah. I'm like, well, Detroit's going to laugh at you and hang up the phone because like you're the one that wants to move. You're going to have to give them something. Right. So I, I think his general thesis is okay, but I think the details of where he's going need to be fully fleshed out. We need to sit down and look at the playoff picture and who they won and who they lost. You know what I mean? I think that's that's really a bit the big difference. So we are off tomorrow, Joe. Yep. We are back on Thursday, and then we're back on Friday, and uh, we are getting ready to close up week 17 of the NFL season. Uh, we're going to be previewing week 17. We're going to be previewing the college football playoff semifinals. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little prospects, which will be fun for a draft podcast yeah, to do. You know, we bill ourselves <laughs> as a draft podcast. <laughs> we should probably we'll talk. Start flipping that twitch a little bit. Uh, So there's lots to look forward to. Why don't you guys uh, come back and see us again on Thursday, and we'll get into some of the weekend that's coming up and some of the NFL draft prospects that we've dug into so far. Kyle Krabs with Joe Murnow. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Draft Dudes Podcast.